Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is, oh, I have to do this all out of order, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Well, hello. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I'm super confused. A man who's not on this show, but is somehow still going to be angry that I didn't introduce him first. Not joining us, regular co-host, the founder <laughs> of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. So we have some great questions we're going to dig through because we have both Jed and Lee here, Sans Glenn. We're going to talk a little bit about worship at the end. Both these guys very accomplished, some of my favorite worship leaders on the planet. But first, we must declare a We Fear Change emergency. Emergency! Emergency! On a show hosted by normally four, at this point, three middle-aged white men. Yeah. In a way, any amount of change is an emergency. Oh, that's absolutely true. <laughs> Anything we're not exactly prepared for and isn't the way we did it last time is caused to upend, well, pretty much everything and to start throwing things and setting things on fire. Yeah. But also, as we talk about a lot on the show, every emergency brings an opportunity. Ah. Wow. And in this one, it's one of our favorites, and that's an opportunity to mess with Glenn. Ah. Because he's not here. He's, he's still uh, on, a, on, a little, on a little trip coming should, back. Should we be under protest? Is that a thing? I don't know. I don't know. It's it's Glenn, so he'll probably he would be angry if we didn't go under protest. But also, Glenn might have a thing where only he's allowed to go under protest. Yeah, it's a real short. It's a real Schrodinger's gripe, right? With Glenn sometimes, right? Which is fine. Uh, and, but you know, we so we, we'll, we'll play it either <laughs> way. So technically, we mentioned both. We didn't do either. So I think we uh, lawyer balled that one. Yeah, I like it. Um. So, but uh, obviously, we we have that we have. Hundreds at this point of hours of recordings of Glenn saying things. Um, could we do something with that? Oh, I think we can definitely do something with that. Wow. Uh, so, so a friend of the show, a coworker, Peter Lawson and I were at the, at the Cook County Jail earlier. As we're waiting for the folks to come down, we were, we were chatting amongst ourselves and mentioned we were recording with that Glenn. And Pete's idea was just to uh, infiltrate and just kind of put previous recordings of Glenn in that are just total nonsense. Okay. Okay. Just so people would think that Glenn was having some kind of deep psychotic break. <laughs> and so, you know, so, well, I think, I think Lee makes a great point about the, the actual theology of grace. Now that makes sense. How do you feel about that, Glenn? Pope you like a hurricane. <laughs> Glenn, I don't know what that means. Jealousy seems robot cyborgs. Okay, Glenn's, Glenn's sundowning currently. <laughs> the future. That's just whispering the future. <laughs> No, that's good. That's very good. So I think that's good. My my idea, and I'll, I'll get you guys to cook in here in a second. My idea was to, uh, we have from previous episodes that either, either Lee or Jed wasn't on, we have Glenn saying he's under protest. We'd have to dig through it, but we obviously have uh, one of Glenn's favorite phrases, particularly uh, about things that he thinks his wife will be adamant about, is to, uh, when somebody else says something, just interject and yell, I'm against that. Right, yes. So he can be yeah. on record as being against it. Um, so I thought about, uh, really trying to mess with, make Glenn look bad by anytime any of us were making a, a point about, you know, love or acceptance or charity or good works, or whatever, just putting in the audio of Glenn screaming, I'm against that. Oh, that's very good. And then we could be like, wow, I, I don't think you should be against helping sick people, Glenn. That seems right. <laughs> I'm going to protest. Wow. I mean, that's your right. That seems okay. Direct your emails to Glenn at the internet. I have an idea, and I don't, I don't know if it has any merit for you guys, but uh, I think, you know, I, I obviously don't know anything about app development 
for the smartphones. Right. However, what if there were a, a dating app where anytime a young man, you know, on a date with his lady, makes a move that's out of step, off color, uh, you know, he, he doesn't know what he's doing, but, but something not quite right, and it's just Glenn going, no, oh, I no. Like I like okay. that. Yeah. Just yeah. anytime that might be offensive to the cuz you know there are times on the podcast and we have lots of recordings of this where Matt is in the midst of still reading a question and Glenn's not even going first on answering right. the question. Yeah, not even close. But right in the middle of Matt reading the question, Glenn just goes, "No. No." Yeah. And then Matt yes. has to say, "Wait your turn." So we yes. have lots of It'll audio like that. So, you know, a young man is on a date with his lady and he's like, and he's trying to strike up conversation. He says, you know what I saw on the baseball game last night? And then Glenn no. just goes, no. Yeah. Brilliant. You know, Love it. I like it's, it. Like, it's like a situation where he's like, you know, earlier I got a text from this other girl named Susie. No. Just immediately, Glenn just jumps in there with it. I, lo- I love the idea. I'm, I'm thinking just the, the, the development, the R&D here of how you would trigger that. And I wonder if there's some way you could kind of the if the young man you could kind of surreptitiously set your phone out in the middle of the dinner table, and it could uh, measure the ferocity with which the young lady is exhaling. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, so I yeah. Text that's this. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and then he knows to dial it back a little bit. Yeah. Change tack, when the, my man. When the when the air comes out of the nostrils just hard enough. It hits some sensor on that phone. It just it triggers a louder and louder no. I love it. I, I think that's a winner. I think that's that's very solid. I think there's also a an idea for a dating app where it's you know, unlike your 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 tenders, your coffee meets bagel, your eHarmonies or whatever, where you kind of opt in. Yeah. It's just a Glenn app that forces people. Like <laughs> you just get an alert that is like, you have been matched. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which of course we call couple skate. Oh, I love it. I love it. With yeah. a lot of the vowels missing for some reason. <laughs> C-P-L-S-K-T. Yes. Couple skate. Yeah. And it just informs you, you've been assigned a date at this Starbucks at seven. Wear a shirt with buttons. <laughs> and it's just, that, it's just that look that Glenn gives where his head tilts down yeah. and his eyes are looking up at you from that. It's yeah, that yeah. look. That's, That's what's on the following. screen. What I have in my head now is an image of some poor kid showing up at the Starbucks with a t-shirt that he has scotch-taped random buttons to. Sure. <laughs> and that that's on us. Yeah. As, yeah. as the as the couple skate development team, that's we, we have to change our terms of use now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's okay, though, shirt. because when... When when the young lady starts breathing in and out heavily enough, then, he, then Glenn just screams from the phone, No! Yeah, <laughs> gotta, gotta bring them together. <laughs> Well, also like a, a, it's kind of an interactive situation where you, you know, you, you as the user, you say, okay, that day didn't get, didn't go well. Yeah. She didn't return my text back and you wear, you just, okay, well write a brief description of what you did on the date Yeah, and then send, you know, couple skate advanced a picture right. of what you wore. Right. And you get a personalized <laughs> item from Glenn that says, well, it's not what with buttons means. Yeah. And no one wants to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have an actual idea here that I think could revolutionize dating, and it's oh. definitely I think it may be the, the the killer feature of couple skate, metaphorically speaking. Yeah, which is <laughs> well, that would revolutionize dating in a different term of revolutionizing <laughs> dating. But this this actually comes from the wisdom of Glenn. One, ah. one of the things that 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 Glenn and Jane 
um, you know, we'll, we'll do with each other because we all have rough days. We all have days totally. where we we just you know we 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 come off you know cross in a way we don't mean to, and and both of them with each other on occasion are, are known to say, "Would you like a do over?" Yeah. Would, would you like to just start this conversation over and we'll That's just nice. we'll just try again? Which is great. This is actually fantastic. Yeah. I think building a feature into couple skate where you can start the date over. Nice. Where where wow. Ethan Mulligan. Either one of you can press a button yep. and it's just do over. You yep. got five minutes, leave the Starbucks, maybe put on a different shirt. Yeah. Come <laughs> back in. We're gonna try this thing again. Sprint across the street to that target. Yeah. Find something with functional buttons. Yeah. And come back. Well, I love it. And that brings that that gives me the idea of so you know you've got like the the emojis and the the gifts and the stickers, whatnot you can send and yeah. the iMessage and your your texting app there. Um, and some of like, they'll do like custom packs and he yeah. says like, maybe on Facebook messenger, it's like all oh, it's themed, it's Pokemon or you know, sure. Batman or whatever. I think a Glenn series of those with some wow. of, some of those things that are just Glenn shortcuts, just, you know, you accidentally text that wrong thing and you get the Glenn face with, would you like it with the eyebrows raised and just, would you like a do over also? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, and, and I'm, I'm seeing, uh, stickers with other Glenn phrases like, uh, take a knee. Yeah. Take a knee is Every- a great one. Everybody out of the pool. Yeah, that's a good one. Or something with the word cupcake in it. Yeah, totally. One of the other great things from from Glenn's Glenn and Jane's real life relationship that I I really do think would be better for all committed relationships if this was involved is the revelation that you don't have to make up a reason to like get attention. Yep. You can use these words. I want attention. Yeah. Mm. And I think how much that's good. How many hours would be saved between dating couples? Many if hours. you could just send the Glenn Moji, yeah, with the phrase "I want attention," Glenn yeah, Moji. yeah, that's right, Glenn Moji. That we, just look, happened. I'm telling you, we have some actual artists who listen to this podcast, yeah, we and do. who have access to uh, to you know like you know graphic interfaces in which they could actually make us some Glenn Mojis. Okay. Yeah, I would. We also do- have some enthusiastic amateur Photoshoppers. Hi, Charlie. <laughs> Let's see some Glenn Mojis, friends. Let's let's see some actual Glenn Mojis, and you know, so if some of them happen to have some of the more salty sections of Glenn's lexicon, who's to say? Well, the the saltier ones that you've heard on the podcast, not the actual. Well, there is that saltier sections. We're trying to we're trying to avoid the it's that family show. plus thing in the app store. <laughs> Safe the ears in the back seat here on the Say That Podcast. Positive, encouraging. Say that podcast. Wow. Yeah. Not even close. <laughs> that was that that's that shut Matt down. That was like a that was I like si- a I he buffered for a, a minute. <laughs> Positive, encouraging. Listen to something else. <laughs> well, here here's another shameless free work request for our artist friends. Oh. And I want to be clear about this. This is Is this the- how we get rich? Because I heard a very prominent uh Christian financial peace advisor recently say if you do rich people things long enough you get rich yeah and i feel like soliciting unpaid work we have no intention of paying for from people who have less money than us falls in that category i agree and i'm going to take it even a step further this is the ultimate in artiness because it's going to serve no purpose for anything ah (laughs) it's true art it's completely self-indulgent i know for a fact we have people with fine arts degrees who listen to this podcast (laughs) and i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) all right here, here's the art that I have in mind. 
is, and here's why I say it will serve no purpose, is because it's visual art that we will not distribute, and this is an audio medium, so the only people who will appreciate it are the three of us. It's a weird anti-commission. No, you need to refine it, the four of us. Glenn is going to love this. Okay. That's true. Here's what I'm saying is, without Glenn, let's be honest, the the podcast, (laughs) it feels a little empty right now. It feels a little, you know. Incomplete. A little incomplete. Part of us is missing. What we need is a painted portrait of Glenn that can hang here in the basement and and remind us of him. Now, look, I'm not an artist, and I clearly don't understand art at all. So don't (laughs) let me in any way guide the creative process. That said, I want to guide the creative process. (laughs) And here's what I'm thinking. Jed is a good freelance client. (laughs) That's true. I, we, I also know for a fact we have some graphic designers listening to the show who I think are probably in the floor in the fetal position. <laughs> yeah, they, they, just, pulled, they just pulled saying, a muscle. I don't know anything about what I'm talking about, but I'd like to tell you exactly how to do this. All right. Given that I know nothing about visual art, I don't understand it in any way. Here's what the visual art should be. Hello. I'm talking about, I think the right way to go is kind of a Napoleonic era portrait oh, where yeah. he's got the vest with his hand stuck Very in it pastoral. for some reason. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why they all did that. But it just feels right. Yeah, no, I think that's good. A lot of nice, you know, patent leather boots up on a rock and a exactly. cutlass. Whatnot. Exactly. Yes. I think I think there's something there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we need kind of a roaring fireplace to hang it over. Yeah, that's true. Wow. But I feel I feel like we could do a twofer. We get one of our friends to for free and completely just to satisfy our weird impulses to do the yeah. Glenn Napoleonic. You portrait. have the exposure. Of the four of us knowing you did it. Exactly right. And that's worth a lot. And then right now I'm looking out and of course you can't see it, you know, auditory medium, but it's just a blank white wall in front of me. Sure. I'm talking about with children's crayons, just kind of drawing a fireplace on the white wall and then hanging this painting over that. (laughs) Yeah. I I love it. And the best part being when people come and to the, we use the basement, we record in for many other things. So like, oh, did, did, did somebody have like, uh, do we have like the children's <laughs> ministry draw that? No, that was Jed. He just wanted to draw a fireplace. It's for an art project he's doing. It's an installation. Thank you very much. <laughs> Outsider art, because that's where it belongs. Well, uh, as you know, it's nice to know that even without Glenn in the studio, we can go that deeply off the rails. Yeah. Just the three of us. In a weird way, that's reassuring. And I will declare emergency off mm. now if you're you're getting a quarter less glenn in your month than you normally might and we know that's disturbing for all of you now if you need a little extra shot of glenn you can of course check out the bridge podcast which he uh, will appear on is preaching several times a month you can check out our bridge loud podcast and coast that episode. or if you really want to get in there deep you can check out bridge box uh slash bridge box only eight dollars a month every month you get Glenn, a Glenn sermon recorded live at the bridge, which is available exclusively premieres in that bridge box, along with a lot of other goodies, music sermons, Bible studies, lots of great stuff. If you want to check that out, missionusa.com slash bridge box. All right, jump to our first question here. This came in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox and have this all the way to the end, or I'll give you some ways to get in touch with us, or you can scroll down into the episode description to find the email and Tumblr links. First question comes in and says, I'm stuck in a soul-sucking job that's killing me inside. I've left so many times, furthered my education and worked other jobs, but come back in hard times. I beg God to let me get hit by a bus if I'm still working here in another five years. I don't belong with these folks. I 
don't want to be like my bitter coworkers who gave up and settled, but it seems like I'm heading where there no matter what I do. God must have something better for me. How do I get away from this job for good? Thank you. And it's a bit rough. I think we can all uh, appreciate uh, the uh, things we have prayed for to for a, a bus to be the alternative to. Sure. I will admit, in my life, it tends to uh, be the most minor things. It's not like I hate this job. It's just like, you know what? That restaurant's going to be closed by the time I get out of this meeting. Just hit me with the bus. That's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little bit, a little bit dramatic that way. But, uh, Jed, I think we can, even for folks who have had maybe folks who listen who've had the same job for a while or yeah. never been this and have their job situation. We can all relate to, there's something that I just hate yeah. that I'm pinning a lot of my unhappiness on that I can't seem to change right now. And it's actually something we deal with a lot of folks that we work with at the bridge working through seasons of our lives. So where do we start with something like that? That's a great question. Um, and we really appreciate you writing in yeah. uh, with your concern here. We, we are with you. We're praying for you. Um, I, certainly I have had jobs that I hated with a capital H and, and just made me so unhappy. And, and I'm sorry that you're dealing with that. And I think the situation that I hear you describing is there's a job that it's hard to turn loose of. Um, and that, that might be for monetary reasons. You know, people talk about the idea of golden handcuffs where they've got a job that pays them a, a bit more than, than other jobs would. And so they, they kind of get trapped in that job, even though they really don't like it and they really don't want to do it. That, that may be part of what you're dealing with. It could be a related thing, like a family business or something, but it doesn't change the fact that you've got a work situation that you really, really don't like. But the funny thing about it, and I think this is where it gets complicated, is it's a thing that you really don't like, but it's also convenient. Yeah. Which is kind of why we're working it, is because it's a convenient situation. And I think a lot of people, me included, come up against situations in our lives where this thing is convenient, but it's completely unsatisfying, and I kind of hate it, mm. and I don't really know what to do with that. I think if we want to move forward on that in a big picture sense, if we want to change it, I think we need to figure out how to make the things that would be satisfying more convenient. That's a big part of how we're going to move forward. I'll give you a simple example of what I mean. If you decide that you want to drink more water through the day, uh, which is great. That's fantastic. It's very healthy. It's very good for you. Um, you can do one of two things. The first is you can say... I know that the water cooler at my work is like a 15-minute walk away from me, even though the coffee pot is like a two-minute walk away from me. But I'm just going to have willpower and be be strong and courageous, and I'm going to do that walk like 10 times every day. Oh, can I have gumption? I'm going to have gumption. I love gumption. And I'm going to do it because that's what a strong person would do. Now, that is an option. The other option, which is much better in every regard, is to just carry a water bottle with you. Yeah. If you want to drink yeah. more water, that's that's how to actually do it. And the reason for it is you've made the good thing convenient. Yeah. That that's actually what you've done. You've you've made the good thing a handy, convenient choice that, that's actually easier to do than the bad, unsatisfying thing. Mm -hmm. Um but here's the deal, of course, is if you sit like you know, in arm's reach of the coffee machine and the water cooler is 10 minutes away and you don't get a water bottle probably going to keep on drinking coffee yeah that's not a testament to you having you know bad moral character that's right. that's just human nature so 
let's take that little example and expand it out a little bit. Um, what is it, you've described a job that you keep going back to. And again, on some level, you keep going back to it because it's it's convenient, it's handy. So why is it handy? Why is it convenient? One immediate option would be because the money is good. And in fact, that the money may well be better with this and maybe uh, considerably better than other jobs you could get. We don't know that's conjecture, but it's it, it fits what you've described. So let's go with that for a second. So how do we take the idea of a job that would pay significantly less money, even though it would be more satisfying, and make that a more convenient thing? Well, uh, one thing that we could do is we could go from living alone where we pay all the rent to living with roommates. So we only pay a fraction of the rent. All of a sudden, our financial needs have changed dramatically by doing that. Mm -hmm. That may or may not be the best fit for you. There's a lot of ways to change your financial uh, outlay. So that's just an option. But if we start to move in a direction where we actually don't need that big of a paycheck in order to make it week to week and month to month, all of a sudden, it's a lot more convenient and a lot handier to be able to have a job that pays less money. Again, I don't know if that's actually the situation that you're facing. There's there's a lot of details that aren't here. But I can tell you that if we make the satisfying thing more convenient, if we make the thing that would be good um, more readily doable, we're far more likely not just to do it, but to stick with it, which I think may be the thing you're really struggling with here. I think that's a really great point. And I think one of the things Jed opens up for us there, Lee, is this idea of <clears throat> some ba- balancing some expectations here. So yeah. he's always going to say, you know, I've worked here for however long. I don't think they say, but you know, it's enough to have left several times and you know, worked other jobs, finished their education and uh, inherent pretty much. If you switch jobs at all, even in the same field is going to be losing some of that seniority, losing maybe some pay, maybe some benefits. So that's fine. If that's what you want to do, if you decide that's, you know, going to fulfill your goals here, but what you get in a bad situation saying is I'm unhappy here, but I don't want to sacrifice any of the things I've built up here. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you're getting a way of trying to have kind of both sides of this thing. And Lee, I'd love to get you to expand that idea out because one of the things I wonder here about our friend, I think a lot of people can get roped into this, especially younger people who are kind of entering the working world for the full-time working world for the first time is this idea of, Having a satisfying life, meaning being deeply satisfied in every part of your life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This idea that I, my volunteer stuff and my job stuff and my social stuff and my church stuff is all I have to peg all that out to be satisfied. I'm not sure that's really the way this works or a healthy way to look yeah, at it. Absolutely. I mean, one of the, one of the things about that, that we talk a lot about in life is the idea of balance and just finding like, what are the things that I dig doing in the, you know, my time off of my work? There are plenty of people that I know, good friends that I have who have, a, you know, an abundant, rich community that have a, a lot of stuff going that they're super into. Their volunteer work gives them a lot of energy and a lot of life and a lot of innovation and creativity and give them a chance to serve and, and, and you know, be a part of the expanding of the kingdom and that kind of stuff. And then if you ask them about their job, um, they'd be like, yeah, it's, it's the thing I do, uh, you know, to feed my family. And it's like, oh, okay, so that's not where you're placing your identity, you know, and they're like, no, no, that's that's just, you know, I I I do that thing. I show up, I I and I do the work that I'm asked to do, and um, I do it well. 
But um, I'm really, you know, the thing. L- let me tell you about this. When we get off work and we um, and we we uh, you know we hit the trails together and we're we're hiking together or we're scubing or we're on the lake or I'm volunteering with this ministry and I'm I'm you know helping feed these people or doing a chapel service over here. Whatever the thing is, there are all kinds of things where you can find life and satisfaction outside of those work hours, where it you know. Like, it's not such a bad thing to say, my work is not giving me life, or it's not the place that I find my identity, but it is a thing I'm doing to provide for the rest of my life. And I've got this balance, and I've got these friends that I hang with, and these, you know, when 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 I'm done at work, then we go fishing, you know, or whatever the thing is. I think one of the really big key things is realizing that I can find a lot of life outside of my work hours. And in the meantime, you may have some friends in some other industries that can give you a hook up to some place to start over. Matt mentioned a really you mentioned a really important thing on this Matt, which is the idea of if I've been in this thing for a while, I'm intimidated of starting over at the bottom and having to kind of work my way back up. I would say one thing on that. If you do find an opportunity to get started somewhere, even kind of on a bottom rung type of position and in, in a different industry or a different workplace, um, <clears throat> one of the things that that people who are in charge, people who are calling shots, are always looking for is who is the person who will do the thing no one else wants to do with a great attitude? Um, don't be intimidated to start over with that kind of a focus of, I'm going to start over in this other kind of job, and here's where I'm going to come in on this. I'm going to come in on the note of, I'm going to do the things that serve other people, um, or the, the thing that maybe other people are leaving undone, and I'm going to do that with a teachable and a, and a, a trainable attitude. Um, that's the kind of person that people want to move up. I have, a, I have a very good friend who accelerated up the rungs of the ladder very quickly in his industry, And one of the things that he told me when he was first starting out was, he said, I went to everybody that was lower than me, and I asked them, what would serve you best? What would increase your efficiency? Tell me what it's like to be where you are and how I can help you. And all of a sudden, everybody underneath this dude loved him, and everybody above him saw that, and they promoted that. And this is a thing that it's just a quick attitude shift. Um, Maybe it's something that you can bring to the current situation. Maybe it's something you bring to the next situation. But I would encourage you to look at the things outside of your work that could give you life and hope and balance and fun and rest and all of that kind of stuff. So that that all of this identity and all of this, you know, when you look around and see kind of the bitterness of people who have been in the same work over, you know, over all these years and you don't want to be there, um, how can you have the richness in every other area of your life so that you don't bring that to work. I think that one of the th- one of the mistakes we make is that when we see somebody that's been in a job for a long time and they're and they do have some kind of bitterness and they're over it kind of deal that we can very easily assume that it's the job that did that. When a lot of times it's everything in this person's life. They don't have any balance. They don't have any community. They don't have any place where they're serving anybody, where they're giving their life away, where they're finding real life. So you, when you look at these people that have been there for a long time, if they have this bitterness, it may not just be from that job. It may be from a collective absence of the things that bring life. So I'd be looking for life outside of that, those job hours, and then I would be 
willing to start over in a different industry with that kind of teachable, trainable attitude that people always want to promote. I think it's it's a really, really strong point there and a lot of good stuff Lee gave us. I think for a lot of stuff, and again, take a lot of this grand salt you're listening to a podcast. Currently, there's three guys with really unorthodox jobs. And Jed is the only one of us who's ever had what would be considered a real grown-up job outside of what we're doing currently. But uh, that being said, you know, the 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 work is a big part of the world. It's a big part of uh, things, the thing that people are unhappy with in their lives, which is definitely part of our job is talking to people about the things they're unhappy with in their lives. Um, you, some of this is you have, you have to be clear about what you want out of something and what you're willing to sacrifice. We're talking about that balance. So my guess would be, I don't know. My guess would be that working at this place is not the only thing making the other people who work here unhappy. I could be wrong. There's certainly workplaces in the world that are, that are so demanding and so toxic and so, uh, hyper-competitive and the labor practices are terrible and it's just, it is it is almost impossible to be happy while you were there. That's that's definitely a thing. But for the most part, um, if you're not working in a coal mine, uh, maybe there's some other things that are being, it could be that everyone here is unhappy for their own unique reasons that they bring to this place and then heap upon each other in a wonderful corporate culture. So is it possible to work at this place, make the money you make, have the position you have, and not do those other things, like kind of like Lee's being talking about and dialing that up, that might be fine if um, the thing you say, and one of the things we should say out here is, it's not bad to say, I want to work at the place that will make me the most money because I've decided, not wrongly, that the point of a job is to earn a wage and be able to do with that wage things I want to do, including you know being generous and doing things in the kingdom. We all know tons of people who, who do that, who did the education and slay through you know the, the internships and all that stuff. And now they're on the other side of that and they want to make the money. Nothing wrong with money. Um, but that idea of I want to do that, the most money and the most fulfillment at the same time, that's going to get a little tricky. Because again, you're listening to three people who have very fulfilling jobs. You know, there's, the other, there's, the, there's also the other side of that equation. And it is what it is. But so there's nothing wrong with... We talk a lot about on the show about how once you decide what your goal is, particularly mm-hmm. if you pray through that and talk to people about that and get stuck on that, then you can use your resources, your emotional, mental resources in figuring out the way to do that. So if you look and it could easily follow the way you look, it doesn't say, look, I'm worked up this much seniority and, you know, time served and, and pensions and all that at this company. It makes the most sense to stay here and make the best of the situation and not get caught up in all this other stuff that's making these people miserable. Maybe that's hyper-competitiveness. Maybe that's office drama. Maybe that's that nobody here has anything going on outside of this, uh, yeah. these four walls in their life. Those are all things that can contribute to unhappiness. But, uh, you know, this, the, the stuff, other stuff about this job affords me a lifestyle I want and feel like I can help people with and move on. It's all great. We all know people have made that choice. Also, nothing inherently wrong with saying, Forget it. As, as Jed's saying, if I got to get four roommates and, you know, start pushing a broom somewhere else, I just can't take another day of this. We all know people made that choice. Some of us have been people made that choice. That's that's fine, too. But you do have to at some point come down to wanting not always exactly one thing, but pretty close to one thing. One thing has to win in the analysis. Absolutely. That, that doesn't mean you want one thing to extend. 
to the uh, exclusion of all others in the sense of I want the most money I can and I don't care if I have to do things that are illegal or, you know, unethical to get it. But if you say I work in X field and I uh, let's take it totally out of being miserable, you say I want the most money I can make or the best position I can get in whatever my field is architecture. Let's pick one at random. Because like people who write sitcoms, I only know four grown-up jobs and one of them are <laughs> George Costanza. Exactly. Uh, George Costanza is your Ted Mosby. It turns out uh, if you're a comedy writer, you pretty much only that's the only job you've heard of. Uh, it's architect and people who do business. So let's say you're a business doer and you say, I want to be a business doer at the highest level I can get for the money. I don't care where I live to do that. I currently live in Kansas City. There's a great job with a ton of opportunities in Seattle. I'm going to take it because that's the important thing. That's great. It's, there's also nothing wrong with saying, I live in Kansas City. I like it here. I don't like the rain. I have Chiefs tickets, whatever time, barbecue, whatever's tying people to Kansas City. So I'm going to take a little less money and a little uh, position at a little less prestigious business factory. I don't know what you people do. Um, so I can stay in Kansas City. That Again, that's what Jed's saying. It's not that I take a terrible job to stay here. I, something has to win in this analysis. And I think we, we can get, uh, uh, you say in your question, which I think is a great point of, I know God must have something better for me. And that's true. That's, we totally believe that God wants you to not have a, your soul sucked out in your life. He wants you to have happiness and peace and joy and all those things that we, we talk about on the show. There are our promises in the Bible. And I think sometimes we can get in a way of assuming we know how he's going to get us that. Mm, and that yeah. it's going to be this piecemeal of, Man, if God wanted me to have peace, he'd I'd just my job would be super fun, yeah. but also it'd pay me this amount of money, and that's how we'd have to get there. So once you decide I want I I feel that I'm being led towards X, not Y, or Y not X, then you can move into figuring out as these guys are talking about like a strategy of how does this fit into the happiness here? If to 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 break it down, to to go back to Jet's Reagan analogy, if I'd rather not be wearing handcuffs than have gold. Great choice. If you say, you know what, as long as they're golden, I'm fine with, you know, the handcuffs. That's cool too. But you do have to kind of pick one or the other. An unfortunate amount of navigating the adult world comes down to making a choice. And I don't like it any more than you do. But these guys gave you a lot of great stuff on that. As ever, if you have a follow-up, you want to give us more details, if you want us to talk about this offline, we can certainly do that hit us up on the addresses in the episode description we're gonna move on to our second question here it also comes in anonymously and it says my son is struggling and it's difficult to be what he needs given my own struggles i have a hard time coping and being loving i need ways to be there for him and huge amounts of energy lately i've been losing my appetite and i've been very tired my wife is doing a lot and my other child is affected by his outburst too a window was recently broken in our house there have been some small miracles along this process, but we are quite overwhelmed. I, I'd appreciate a prayer every now and then along the road. And if you guys have any general advice on supporting struggling children, that might be a say that question that people would like to hear. I'd love to hear your guys, specifically Lee's take on it, as I assume I'm not the only listener with kids. And it's a great question, and we I'm very thankful it came in. Parenting is not something we super-duper talk about a lot of the show. Our, our demographics squeeze a little bit younger. So that's not something that necessarily comes up as much, but we do have a lot of parents listen to the show. We have a lot of people who are going to be parents who listen to the show. And I think there's a lot in this of 
looking at any group of people that could be a friend group, that could be a church group, that could be uh, your own family that you're not the parent in and having someone who is doing the most struggling, which is something we all experience. But Lee, let, let's start with the parent thing. Let's say we, we're for someone who is a parent who uh, does a lot of counseling and talking with, with parents, both in the church and parents of kids you work with. What do we, where do we start looking with uh, parenting with someone who's having these kind of issues? Um, one thing I do think I should say in Glenn's absence is that this podcast does make babies. And I would know that he would want no, that said. No, still accurate. He would, but we shouldn't. <laughs> Not how podcast works. So here's the deal. Um, yeah, l- let's start with this piece. Uh, let's start with the last piece first. Um, if you have a child with, with certain special needs, um, one thing that I can say with certainty is there are people who uh, out there who would be a, a good support for you. Um, there are other parents who are going through the same situation. There are organizations who specialize in whatever you are dealing with as a family, whatever um, specific situation you're facing. And, and it, there's a great point, Lee. I'll pause right there to, to just uh, be clear that um, when we say special needs, that is a term that means can mean a specific thing. We're also yeah. using the more general term of just that's anyone right. has a problem that's not super every day. So that could that's be... Right. That could be could be developmental, could be depression, could be any number of things. A, literally, a need that is outside the total norm. Absolutely, anything anything outside just kind of your normal everyday thing that you're dealing with. Thanks for clarifying on that. But what I'm saying is, there are groups out there who, um, whatever you're going through, there there is a way to find a support group for what you're facing. If you are having a tr- a hard time finding or connecting with that group, please hit us back on a more specific follow up and let us help you look for those resources. Because one thing I can tell you is that the other parents who are facing what you're facing um, have that are in support groups have found strength in this common, um, it just in, in the commonality of what you're dealing with, and they would love to walk with you through what you're facing. So, um, uh, Christy and I know that specifically, not only in our own extended family, and um, but also in ministries that we have served alongside, led worship at, or served in different ways. And we have seen lots of really cool benefits from different retreats and different groups uh, that offer support. But let's also talk about this in a more general term when it comes to parenting, and even a more general term when it comes to uh, marriage. So, this applies not only to to married folks who have children, but married folks in general. Um, one of the, th- I think one of the, the, the best things that, that Christy and I ever did as parents is that we uh, set down a specific, and we've had many conversations about it, but a specific teamwork, intentional, uh, strategic effort to make sure that both she and I have regular times that we can count on during the week where we will have designed opportunities to recharge our batteries. Um, Let me say it like this. You have a finite amount of energy, a finite amount of patience, a finite amount of being cool. That doesn't make you a bad person. If you get to the end of your finite level of being able to handle your life and you go off... That is not a failure as you of you as a person. That is an expected thing that will happen to any human being who reaches their limit. So what Christy and I found when we became parents is 
we need to design our week with this in mind. We need to, as a team, sit down and and really, really try to understand each other's personalities and coping mechanisms and battery recharging. And what does it take for us to charge back up? And then we need to specifically design our week and our schedule in such a way that there are protected times that are specifically designed for our personalities to recharge those batteries. There, there may be somebody that says, gosh, that sounds, uh, man, that sounds kind of selfish. Uh, you're really setting this up for you. Right, and it's like, no, that's exactly what this is. Uh, it's not selfish; it's smart. This is how we need to take care of each other. Married couples, even if you don't have children, this is an important part of your teamwork. How do we best use the finite amount of energy and patience and love and all of that stuff? How do we how do we handle sleep and downtime and all of that thing so that? So that we're able to parent the best, so that we're able to be married the best, so that we're able to minister the best, all of those things. We want to maximize that with efficiency. In order to do that, we've got to understand each other. We've got to design these times. If I know that I can count on a, you know, barring special circumstances, a regular weekly time where I'm really going to be able to recharge those batteries, that's going to make me a better parent because it's going to make me able to handle certain situations knowing that my time is coming. And that's the thing that we found. And we, one of the things that we found is there are a lot of folks that we love dearly and we watch them, you know, with they're having kids and, you know, right alongside us. And this is not something that they've either thought about or thought possible or whatever. And they find themselves bedraggled and tired and, and, and over the limit and all that kind of stuff. And that's not to say that we never, uh, hit the end or get over the limit, but we've got these times that we're really specifically working at making sure our batteries are recharged. And this is something that, you know, uh, if you have a kid that, um, that is struggling in special ways, or if you just have whatever in, in any situation, I mean, even if you don't have kids at all, this is something that, that every couple should think about. Any team should think about that part of teamwork is understanding my teammates understanding what their limits are, and making sure that I am there for them to support them so that they can be recharged and ready and have the resources they need to be most effective. That is all excellent, excellent stuff. A lot of great wisdom in there. And Jed, let me get you to pick us up there and look at this idea of, again, I think as as Lee pointed out very, very sharply, we can expand this out from a family unit to really any community where there's one person who is um, not for good or ill, but just as a, as a dry statement of fact, taking up a lot of the resources. Yeah. Um, as Lee points out, it's an important point that an individual has a finite amount of sanity and patience and energy. A community has that too. That's right. And so how do we de- deal with the person who does need the most attention? That's, mm. that's fair. Without having that have too many adverse effects in every other direction. That's a great question. I think it begins by recognizing that there's a huge difference between this person or this situation receiving an above average amount of attention um, and time and resources and this person or situation receiving all of the attention and the time and the resources. And it's very, very easy for one to essentially transition into the other. 
this happens in families, it happens in workplaces, it happens at churches, it happens at parachurches, um, and it can happen for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, certainly, I've been around churches where they had one issue that they were really hyped up and amped up about, and that was the only issue they were interested in talking about. Uh, that was the only problem that that they were interested in doing anything about. Anything that was not that problem was just not going to be mentioned. It was not going to receive any airtime. It was not going to receive any any support or any resources. And as you can imagine, that's pretty discouraging for the people that are working on everything else, the, the literally yeah. everything else. Um, this unfortunately does happen in families too. Um, you know, if you've got multiple kids and, and there's a kid who, who has some specific struggles and then there's a kid who doesn't, it's really easy for all of the time and attention in life to go into supporting Timmy and there's kind of nothing left over for Susie. It's, it's actually really easy and, and that, that can happen, unfortunately. So to keep that from happening, uh, we need to do a few things. The first is we need to be aware that that's a distinct possibility um, and that, in fact, that's probably the likely outcome if we're not working against it. Um, the, our, our default mode is probably going to be to overspend in that category, so to speak. The second thing is to manage our own expectations at, and, and look at why we're tempted to overspend. Uh, the first reason, and this this happens more when we're dealing with people than with kind of pet causes or pet issues, but there's a temptation to feel like, you know what, if we just pour everything into Timmy right now, we can fix him. We can just get this yeah. whole Timmy thing squared away, and right. then we can just have a normal life and it'll be great. Nope. And that's a thought process and a temptation that makes total sense, makes total yep. emotional sense. Very few things in life work that way. Um, if Timmy broke his arm and we need to get him to the hospital and have a doctor see him and they need to do surgery and set his bone and the whole thing, well, well then, yeah, I mean, that that does kind of make sense that it's just going to be the Timmy show for a while while we get the squared away. But there's a lot of stuff that does not work that way uh, in life. There, there's a lot of... You appear to be describing in your question a certain number of behavioral problems. and a lot of behavioral problems are longer term things where there there's not a a fix that's just going to be applied and then this is done this is a this is a longer process but if we if we get into the mode of thinking we just got to get this one more detail sorted and then we're going to have this Timmy situation squared away and then we can give Susie some attention and that that'll be great for her it's it's pretty easy to start thinking that way and it's a bad call um, both because it misunderstands the way that a lot of problems get solved and also because it actually kind of leaves Susie out to dry for however long that's going on, which is super, super not good for her. When we're looking more at issues or causes or, or that kind of thing, there's a similar dynamic where, um, I think it's easy to feel like if we, for example, as a church, if we just pour everything into this one cause and this one issue that, that I happen to be really, really amped up about. Funny <laughs> coincidence, that. <laughs> if we just pour everything into that, um, then, again, in a similar sense to, to Timmy, we can solve it. We can, we can really get after it, and it'll be big and impressive. Uh, it'll be impressive to me, and it'll be impressive to other people. And once people are impressed then we can move on then then we can you know do something else and worry about these these other 
interests, whatever you people are into. But the problem is we're, we're kind of chasing an emotional goal there pretty, pretty quickly, which emotional goals are very rarely satisfied. So we pour all the resources this year into this one pet cause and we're not quite where we want to be. So we're going to pour all the resources next year into this one pet cause. And and that just kind of keeps going. So close. Exactly right. I guess here's really the key thing, whether we're dealing with people or causes is keeping things in a healthy proportion is very rarely emotionally resonant before we do it. Mm. Let me say it again. A proper proportion is very rarely an emotionally attractive thing before we do it. Putting everything into one thing almost always feels like the thing that we want to do. And man, that (laughs) would really do it. That would really get it. Hardcore, Jed. It's the most, and it's what a good parent would do, Leeward Younger. It's what a good parent would do. The reality is the exact opposite. The, the reality is that good, healthy proportion pretty much always pays off and pretty much always yields results that are good and that we feel good about. Improper proportion, and especially when we get into kind of a monomania and kind of a, we're, we're going to focus on one thing, the inclusion of everything else, that yeah. hardly ever yields the results that we want. Um, It feels like it's going to, and it hardly ever does. So take it all the way back. One of the things that we want to do in these kinds of situations is make sure that we are intentionally planning on a proper proportion of our time and resources so that yes, the person that has specific needs is being helped and is getting those needs addressed, but so is everybody and everything else too. And stuff isn't getting dropped along the way. I think that's a, there's all really fantastic stuff from these guys. And yeah, we don't want it to to seem harsh or seem unkind to say that you don't want to pour too much into the person who is suffering. That's not really what we're saying here. It, not in the sense of, well, don't you think Timmy's had enough attention and it's time he he bucked up? We're we're, we're talking about and it's phrase used in the show a fair amount. As we're talking about a sustainable model here. Yep, we're talking correct. about yeah. As as Jed said, there's some things and there's some things in the realm of of emotional psychological stuff that are the equivalent of breaking your arm that are a a trauma that needs to be dealt with in a certain way in a certain time period and we do have to go great guns at that um but even those things tend to have a long tail that's something else yep. and as Je- as Jed and Lee both point out most things don't fall into that category in what we're talking about here so whatever problems uh someone may have in this arena are probably going to need some long-term management Part of that, including teaching them to manage it. Yep. So um, let's let's take let's pull a random idea here and just say that somebody's issue is manifesting in angry outbursts. They're you know, punching the classic high school guy punching the wall, the hole in the drywall because drywall's really not that hard to punch a hole in, but it seems really <laughs> like you know, man, that's a story. So you punch a hole in the wall. Um, okay, there's obviously some other problems under this. But part of the solution we're going to need to arrive at if we want to actually get somewhere good is teaching this person to manage their own anger and stuff that's leading to that. And that is inherently going to be a long process Then a process that takes some fine tuning. And part of what you need to learn to manage your own stuff is that as we talk about a lot on the show of kind of um, pacing and grief work and all that kind of stuff that is, it's not we go at it guns blazing until we fix it because you're not you are you are not a your your child is not a problem that needs to be fixed. They have problems that right. need to be fixed. Those are different things. Yep, yep, and yep. 
we know you, you, no one would intentionally, uh, well, no one listens to this show, would intentionally see their child, I have to fix this problem that is this person. But it can be easy to fall into that that mindset. Again, we're, we're all, even those of us who aren't parents, are people who uh, deal with people's problems for a living. And it can get a little easy to lose the person in the problem yeah. on some of that. So uh, all that to say, um, you know, we know that to the question asker that you, you are doing a great job because you're seeing the progress you're putting in the effort. And this is one of those things where one of the, one of the dangerous thoughts is if we were doing this right, it wouldn't be taking this much out of us, mm-hmm. which is a really insidious thought that the enemy can use to get a foothold on you of, you know, if, if we had a good strategy on this, if we were doing this right, if we had dialed this in, it would not, there wouldn't be bumps in the road and it wouldn't be right, right, right. weighing on us like it does. If you got someone you love as much as you love your child who's having a hard time with something that's not immediately fixable, there's no way to make that not a trying experience. Amen. So it, it's an unfair thing to put on yourself to say, we should figure out a way to do this smoothly. What you want to do, as these guys are talking about, is move forward in a way that allows you to get up and take the trials that you have tomorrow to come on, which we know you can do. We believe in you. We're definitely praying for you and your family on that. Okay, we got a little bit of time left here, and I wanted, to, I wanted to take advantage of having the two worship leaders of the show here. Let's just talk about worship a because I realize, as, as speaking as one, if you're someone who just kind of uh, goes to a meeting, sits in the pews on Sunday morning, goes to, to a college worship thing, or, or whatever, uh, celebrate recovery, whatever the case may be, it's, it's a, worship can be a thing where you're just kind of getting carried along on the tide here. There's, you know, there's people doing a thing and there, maybe there's lights and maybe there's music. But one of the things I love talking about this stuff with, with Lee and, and Jed is they, they are people who put a lot of thought into that worship time, what they want out of it, what they want the people in the room to get out of it. So I thought it might be interesting for folks to hear what that is and think of some ways that if, if that applies to you, how you can get more of that, how you can, you know, in, in, kind of bring that into your own personal worship, what you maybe that way you do at a church or just as someone who's singing, if you, if you know, maybe your, your worship leader isn't as clear about, I want you to feel this way, or I want you to get in this mindset. But if you know that maybe where they're going for, you can, you can help get yourself there sometimes. So, and it's just interesting to talk to, and I think one of the interesting things about podcasts in the world is just get to hear people who are experts on their thing, which generally definitely are when it comes to worship, talk about it. So that's one of my favorite things about podcasts. So the, the question we came up with this is, is, what do you guys want the people in the room to get out of the worship time? Mm. And what is, what are some thoughts, some ideas that the people in the room, if they're, if they didn't have someone leading the, them in this could take to kind of get themselves there. And Lee, why don't you kick us off here? Wow. Uh, I don't know why I'm going first. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I was say- looking at you when I was done talking. Uh, happily, I, I I will happily say that I have I have learned so much about this from 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 my brother Jed here, and uh, and we actually uh, led one of his songs at our Bible study tonight with high school folks. It was a huge huge uh, hit, good decision, especially because of some of the people who were in the room and some of the lyrics. And I love the intentionality with which he does everything he does. And I definitely try to bring that in too. I will say this, my, my first, the first thing that came to mind, the first word that came to mind when I read your question, Matt, was the word engagement. What I want is engagement. I want people who come into the room, um, to sing, to clap, to, to be a part of this. I I do not want to be playing a concert. I am not interested in performing. 
I'm not interested in um, in playing music for people to be listening to. I want people to engage in singing um, true words back to God. I, I do think that, and I really, really believe that people who give themselves to singing, to clapping, that they will experience something with the Lord. And I feel like it's my job to kind of set the table for that. And so I want to do everything that I do with um, with a ton of intentionality so that no matter what, like anybody that comes into the room, whatever their musical level is, that they can engage with this process. Because I believe that there's something, there's some kind of synergy that happens. I don't know. I, I don't want to get too weird or mystical, but I do think there's something amazing about music and its ability to engage people emotionally with the Lord. I want people to feel something. Um, not that feelings are everything, but I want them to engage and have a meeting with with God. And I think that I think that if people will give themselves to singing, clapping, and and being a part of this, that they will do it. So for me, every single piece of the process from from the songwriting all the way into the arrangement of the instruments all the way down to the mix from the board that's coming through the speakers we think about every and and uh the the image that's placed on the screen where the words are all of those things we think about with this one question does this add to engagement does this make a low entry fee for people or does this make a high entry fee and make engagement difficult? And so that's where I would start is I want people to participate. I want people people to be a part. I think that's a very fine goal and a great place to start. And as you, the uh, home listener, if you're uh, one of the people who thinks, well, I don't want to clap and sing and seem foolish, be a part of it. Just just give yeah. it a shot. Maybe, maybe you're right. I've, I've been to churches where... <laughs> Just because we're all doing it doesn't mean it's not foolish. Sure, but uh, if it's a if it's a well run worship service that you're talking about, you you're the reason uh, some Lee wants the people for that for the people in the room is because of what he's seen people come to that room and get out of it. And that's that's a very cool thing. And Jed, one of the interesting things about the bridge is we often have a room that is maybe the majority of which are people who have never been to a worship service. Sure, maybe they've been to a prison chapel service, but they've never been in a church. Sometimes like the building, yeah. much less to a church service. So part of a lot of the reason we think about this stuff in maybe a little different way as, as a bridge team, and we've talked to, to Lee and other folks we're partnering with and stuff like that is because we really do have to deal with someone uh, asking, wait, why are you doing that? Yeah. Mm. Why is this happening? Yeah. Maybe like occasionally you would try to have a nice downbeat, amazing grace at the end of a worship service and that would get booed yeah we don't want to do that we want the party song yeah we don't want to end on a nice chill down note that's what you wanted play the song sure so from having to think about that as this kind of a you know we often talk about when when we have a bridge service the worship is the first thing that happens as it is in most services and it's jed's job to um whip the room into a frenzy or corral the nuclear level of energy that's in there already. So what are the things you try to focus on the folks getting so that they're ready when that uh, preaching time comes? I think to me, I, I think the key thing that is my heart for the people that I'm leading in worship anyway, is that they would have a few minutes where they're carrying fewer burdens. Mm. Um. Yeah. This is true. I mean, it's it's been said, and rightly so, that everyone's going through their own private hell, and that's definitely true. 
it's a little bit more obvious with the folks that we work with because um, they got just a lot of awful stuff in their lives. And and they've adopted a lot of views of the world to cope with that that makes sense, but that are really rough. Um, you know, I mean, they a lot of the folks we work with feel like I, I can never let my guard down. I can never trust anybody. I can never really be myself. Um, you know, I, I have to be kind of on red alert all day, every day, no matter where I am. And the, the funny thing is that's true when we're working with guys behind bars and that's not an inaccurate view of your world. If you are incarcerated, sure. there's a lot no. of accuracy to that. Nor in a lot of the neighborhoods, the people who come to the bridge live in. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So it's one of these odd things where it's a terrible way to go through life, but you also come by it honestly, and it's not exactly inaccurate. So it's, what do you do with that? So my goal for the worship time is that if you're at like 99% red alert, my goal is that you might set a couple percentage points down for 20 minutes um, and be able just to breathe the free air. That's that's the goal. I, I think it's incredibly hard on people, mind, body, and spirit to be tense and burdened all the time. And, um, and I want them to set those burdens down. Uh, and I want that for two reasons. One, it's almost impossible to take in new information when you're in red alert mode. Mm. Um, so that preaching is going to be pretty hard for it to be effective if, um, it's a room full of people that, uh, (laughs) uh, have zero openness to new things. What do you mean by that? What indeed the, the second side of it though, is there's actually, a great therapeutic value in them having a few minutes where their guard is down, whether anything good gets preached or not. Um, uh, That's just a hugely beneficial thing. And it builds an association that church or chapel, either way is a place that I come to get a kind of rest. I'm not able to get anywhere else. Yeah. Um, Which goes along with Jesus saying, come to me and rest you who are uh, weary and heavy laden. So, I want them to be unburdened, and in my experience, that's going to happen if they relax. Um, the, those two things are, are linked, and um, you're going to relax if you're having, excuse me, you're going to relax if you're having fun. Uh, and so, this then goes back to what Lee was saying, which is engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, you you will have fun if you clap your hands and you sing along. Yeah, uh, that's that's how this works. If you stand there stoically with your <laughs> arms folded over your chest, kind of glaring at the room, you will not have fun. So. Um, um, I've played music in a lot of places for a lot of different kinds of reasons. So, um, from like the standpoint of a performer, I don't care if you clap and sing or not, that doesn't make any difference to me, but from the standpoint of you having fun and thus being relaxed and thus being unburdened, I care deeply about yes. that. And I, I really want you to do that. It's kind of like, you know, if you've ever been to a wedding before and they open up the dance floor, um, it's kind of crappy to stand there and not dance. Um, it's, yeah. it's kind of boring. It's you, you feel like you don't really belong there. If you'll actually go and dance, even if you're bad at it, you'll have a good time. You, you will enjoy doing this. You'll have a much That's better it. time than if you stand on the side of the room, glaring angrily at all the people who are dancing. Say um, that dude. So that's what I'm going for. Look out for the new, uh, West coast dance craze glaring angrily <laughs> coming to a dance floor near you. No, I think that's, that's all great stuff from these guys. And again, from as someone who, an outsider perspective, who has watched both these guys lead worship, it is it is, is a super cool thing. It is uh, not the kind of, we, we mock a lot of church stuff, particularly back church stuff that has some, some look at me element to the worship and some over, 
overproduction, some over emotionality. Right. Um, and we mock it because it is eminently mockable on every turn, but on some level you can, under- we can understand where these guys drive at that. Cause they've, you almost get the sense they've never really thought about this question of what do we want this time to be? It's just, we got to do a three song set. Let's, let's do it big or good or something. And you want to add something to the max. Well, I was just thinking, I think there's a, I think there's a sense in which, and I've heard people say this before that we're doing this for the Lord, man. It's got to be amazing. And what that can lead to is a sense in which we're going to turn the volume in the room up so loud that it actually doesn't matter if you're in the congregation whether you sing or not. Because the point of this is that we're going to be amazing because this is for the Lord, man. And there's, you know, there's a sense in which, like, like, uh, some kind of musical precision is linked to holiness in some way. And so there there actually are places where we've had people come to us in our church and say, the last place, the last few places that I've tried to go to church, it, I've had a difficult time because, because uh, it doesn't, I realize their mix is up so loud in the room, it doesn't matter whether or not I sing. Um, and they're all amazing. It's like I'm at a concert with professional musicians. And actually, at a lot of churches, you are at a concert with professional musicians. These are musicians who don't go to the church who are paid to actually perform in this in this service. And the thing that we try to do really, really specifically is um, is that we try to keep that mix in the room in such a way that it would be uncomfortable if you didn't sing. Like, it's not so loud that it doesn't matter if you sing. It actually matters that you sing, because the mix in our room is not so loud. Like, it's it's one of those deals where if you don't sing, it's going to be empty. And so, you're going to be exactly like Jed, like Jed is describing, is the person on the side who's not dancing at the wedding reception. It's going to be more fun if you go ahead and engage in this process. And the reason is is so layered, because... Uh, you know, one of the things that I learned from Jed is, um, and I have loved it ever since, and we put it into a lot of use and helped a lot of people, is the idea of the power of a song as an antidote, right? So that if I know what somebody's going through, and I use the lyrics of a song as kind of an antidote for the poison that they have been swallowing. So the thing that's holding them back in their spiritual life, if I've, if I've done the ministry and I've gotten to know this person, and I know what's holding them back, and I know the biblical truth, the promise of Jesus that would set them free, and then we have a song that clearly sings that thing, and it's easy, it's easy access, it's easy to sing, and you know, the melody's easy, the whole thing is just so easy, then all of a sudden, when I'm, we're, when they're, not only am I singing this thing, but the, my the, my neighbor sitting next to me in the chair and the person sitting behind me and the person standing on stage, stage, they're all singing this thing together. Then we start to actually kind of collectively believe that this is true. And all of a sudden, the thing that's been holding me back is a non-factor. And this is exactly what Jeb was talking about. But when we can all engage in that process together and when it matters that we're doing it, then all of a sudden, the thing that's been holding me back, I'm set free from, and I am in a totally new headspace. I am in a totally new spiritual space, and I am ready to see what Jesus has for me next. And so we not only think about like how loud is the music coming through the PA speakers, but also what are we saying from the front? 
And is it the kind of thing that, uh, because we know our people, we know the thing that they need to say, or they need to be reminded of, or they need to sing out loud. And if we're all doing this together, we have a greater chance of, of believing it, of being set free by it. That's all fantastic stuff. I hope you enjoyed hearing these guys talk about that as much as I did. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. You can scroll down into the episode description in your wherever you're listening to this and click those links. Since we're talking about live worship, we might as well take it out with some. This was recorded live at the bridge. This is Jed leading the men and women there in the yes. one. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Glenn's not here. There's no funny tag. <laughs> so we've decided we're gonna have a good time tonight yes yes all right then so you know so we're all on the same page we're having ourselves a party tonight here's what that means we are going to let our hair down we're going to take the pressure off we're going to relax and have a good time is everybody down with having a good time yes all right in that case we're gonna sing a party song put your hands together for me now if you got hands, put it up on me. He threw a 99 party, but he left it for the one. Because he knew it ain't a party if a hundred didn't come. Now I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one he left to find. Yeah, I'm
Yeah. Oh,